It's the Almost Perfect Podcast. Welcome to the Almost Perfect Podcast, a celebration of fuck-ups, failures, and falling flat on your face. This is a podcast that believes you can learn from experience, but that experience doesn't have to be your own. Ha, I'm Bob Perfect, and I'm a functional fuck-up. Let's learn from somebody else's mistakes. And today we're learning from Ross Charles. Now, Ross Charles is a musician, a singer in particular, uh, who you've probably seen on your TV stations lately, as he was in The Voice South Africa. Before that, he was in a band called Stone Palace, who you might know them if you were in the Durban music scene. Really good band, and they're all kind of still together behind Ross as a solo act now. We get into that in the podcast, and we get into The Voice, although it's going to sound a little weird, because this podcast was done about two months ago. Now, it's coming out now because A, I am sick. I don't know if you can hear that. Uh, You probably can tell that I am under the weather. I've been manned down for like the last five days. It has really sucked. And so I didn't get to do a new interview this week. But I've had this one in the can for quite a while. Because when Ross and I had the conversation, it was straight after basically he had made you know, he had qualified for the competition, basically, that he got four chairs turned around, all the judges were like, yo, we want you on our team, and like, it was a really big deal, and it was a really cool thing, and so I got him in, and we chatted, but then it turned out we couldn't release it, because he had an NDA, and yeah, Mnet didn't necessarily want, well, I don't know if it's Mnet, (laughs) DSTV didn't necessarily, you know, want that kind of promo coming out at that time, but now that's Ross is out of the competition, unfortunately. He just missed out on top eight recently. Um, It does mean that I can now post this. So unfortunate timing for Ross and kind of fortunate timing for the rest of us right now in that we'll get to hear this cool conversation because I do think it's a really great conversation. We chatted for like over an hour and a half. You hear about an hour and a half of the conversation and we just discuss, you know, what it's really like to be Ross is one of those people who wanted to be a musician his whole life, but only really started pursuing it a bit later. Although he was in the Drakensberg Boys Choir for a little bit when he was younger. So he's always had the talent and he does have the talent. He's got a phenomenal voice. I like remember seeing him for the first time just going, holy shit, this dude can fucking sing. And so I'm glad we finally got to have a conversation because he's also someone who I enjoy his opinions online. And I see he can be a little salty with the industry at times because... You know, he wants to do this thing professionally and it's fucking hard to be a professional musician in Durban and in South Africa in general. But hopefully now the competition will help him, you know, move ahead and, you know, get where he wants to be in his career. So this is a, yeah, it's a pretty long conversation. It's a really fun one just about music, man. Lots and lots of different things about music, about being a musician, about other bands, about criticism Oh man, it's just, it's a really, yeah, as I said, it's an hour and a half conversation, so it's pretty hard to break it down in like two minutes for you now. So yeah, that's coming up in just a second. It is the Almost Perfect Podcast with Ross Charles, and like I said, I am Bob Perfect. If you're listening to this for the first time, thank you very much. Uh, There are about 35 other episodes now, something like that, in the bank with a whole host of different kinds of creative South Africans. The goal of this podcast is essentially to figure out how different people, you know, get to where they are and, you know, how they make it. I'm putting that in inverted commas, but attain some relative success, whether that's to help you yourself figure out a path forward in life or, you know, just to uh, like you know, let you know that there's other people like you, like if you're a creative and you're struggling through it or, you know, you're breaking through it, 
it's cool to see that there's other people who share your thoughts and opinions or who are doing it differently. So that's kind of the whole concept of this. I chat to different people who I find really interesting in the scene, in the creative scene in South Africa, mostly in Durban, because I am a Durbanite and I feel we don't get enough credits and we don't get put on the map enough. So that's the vibe with this uh, podcast. And I normally don't actually tell people much about myself or what I'm doing in the beginning here, but I figure I should start doing that. So at the moment, I'm actually working on the Heat City Comedy Festival. That's going to be coming up from the 30th of July to the 4th of August. We're doing it at five different venues. Um, We'll be announcing that soon. But I would appreciate it if you go and check out on Facebook and on Twitter. So Twitter, it's at Heat City. And on Facebook, it's the Heat City Comedy Festival. I'd love it if you like the page and clicked attending to the event. Even if you don't come to the event, just in the moment, I need to try and get those numbers up, obviously, to try and, you know, get this festival out there. It's something I've been working on. This is my third year putting it together now. It is mostly just myself doing it. Like everything you're going to see from this festival is pretty much because of me putting it all together. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of comedians. There's nearly 40 comedians who are coming to join us. And it is a team effort, but I'm kind of the captain. And, you know, I do need a little bit of help. So I'd really appreciate it if you go and like it. And then come to the festival, man. It's going to be really fun. Uh, We're using sick venues that support comedy in Durban. I've managed to secure a theater that, like, I enjoy and I've really wanted to perform at. And I guess I can tell you I'm going to be performing uh, my second one-man show, The End of the World on the 4th of August at 8pm. It's going to be at that theatre. I can't tell you just yet which theatre it is, but that's the vibe. Um, So I would really appreciate it if you come and watch me do some stand-up comedy, and especially some stand-up comedy about how the world is going to end. Uh, Nice light light conversation. Nice uh, chilled topic. But it is one of my favourite things to think about, which, once again, sounds morbid, but I mean, one of my favorite things to think about before that was dying. So everyone dying versus just myself dying. I think, uh, I think, I don't know. I'm moving on a little bit, you know. I'm not being so self-involved and instead sharing my morbidness with the world. So you can come check that out. That's going to be on the 4th of August at the Heat City Comedy Festival. And I'd really appreciate seeing you some of, the, some of you there. And if you enjoy this podcast, well, if you've listened to it before, you know what I'm about to say. And if you haven't listened to it before well guess what you can like us on facebook at the almost perfect podcast you can also follow us on twitter at almost underscore podcast yes almost underscore podcast you can also follow me on instagram at almost perfect bob and if you want to email me if you've got any questions if you've got any comments if you've got any tips tricks anything that you want to share with me about this podcast please hit me up at heats no i was going to give you the heat city comedy festival i think i did that on a previous podcast as well at almost perfect pod at gmail.com Come. You can hit me up there, or you can just do what everyone else does and hit me up on Instagram. My Instagram DMs have been popping lately, and thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for all the kind words. I really, like, I really appreciate it. I mean, this podcast doesn't get tons of listens. We average about 120 to 200 per episode, which is awesome. I mean, I love it, but you don't expect, like, it to have the effect that maybe it does on a personal level with people. And a lot of people have, you know, said to me directly that, hey, this podcast really has helped me. And that fucking like just means so much to me. So thank you to everyone who's, you know, done that, who's hit me up and let me know that this isn't a waste of my time. So I, yeah, I really appreciate that. And I also want to say shout outs to our latest Patreon, Patreon, no, patron, uh, Martin Barrios. 
he has joined up on patreon.com forward slash almost perfect. It's uh, a place you can go if you want to subscribe to the podcast and add a little bit of cash into my pockets so I can make it a bit better. One of the things I've done already with the money that people have been subscribing with is bought some mic stands. So I don't have to hold the mics and we don't have weird vibes. And I'm going to use some of the money now to repair one of my mics because if you listen to last week's podcast, you would know that one of my microphones is unfortunately not working. But thanks to you, the patrons, I keep wanting to say the Patreons, but thanks to the patrons on Patreon, I am able to hopefully get that fixed. So yeah, thank you very much so far. I'm sorry for all the promo there and... But like I'm doing a lot of stuff and I really uh, would appreciate the support. And I really do appreciate uh, the support that I've received already. I, I Like I'm always just in awe, man. So thank you so much for everything. And I'm sorry for making so much of this intro about myself because this is a really fun podcast. And the next hour and a half are going to be all about Russ Charles. Enjoy. You must be feeling good about yourself right now. Yeah, I'm pretty excited, pretty, pretty confident and, uh, you know, happy to be finally out there and you know and putting my name out where i'd like it to be yeah so for i mean i'm going to introduce you beforehand i'm going to explain why you're feeling good about yourself but you have got through the blind auditions of the voice yeah i've i I traveled up to joburg i sang my song i did i did all the things you got to do and uh yeah i got i got four chairs and i'm through yeah so what what do you mean you got four chairs what is that so basically i mean if you haven't watched the show the format is you you come out and the judges aren't facing you um, you've just got a crowd in front of you and as you sing they all have an option to hit a button turn their chair around and then why if, do they do that though so i mean they've obviously got to pick teams i mean if, if that's what you mean by why do they do yeah, that yeah. so yeah once they've turned they basically have an option to to fight for you to be on their team every judge is trying to compile a team that they believe is the strongest in order to win the contest so basically they're all trying to you know find get the a, best singers yeah they're trying to find the best singers and um, if you you know get more than one chair, that's a pretty good pretty good compliment. And to you, you got you got everyone. Turning and I around. got everyone. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. Like, and even when you got the first chair, I saw that little smirk on your face. Like you got like when you got Lyra and you had Francois Van Koch, because you I assume wanted to work with Lyra. That was your plan going in. Yeah, I went there with Lyra as as the number one choice. I didn't actually really think much much further than that. Uh, and if she hadn't turned around and everyone else had, how would you feel and what would you have done? I mean, I would have felt good because, you know, the, the main goal is to be on the show. Um, I definitely would have gone with Ricky. Uh, I don't know. He, he's like the new gun on the show and he's vibrant, man. He's got like this great energy to him. So, But I mean, I don't think he would be able to teach you that much vocally. Um, but he would be able to teach you other things. Yeah, I mean, I think the main goal for me in the show is to learn the, the other elements of the industry that I think being a, a small town musician lacks. So, you know, that guy, his business acumen is, is absolutely fantastic. And I mean, he came from Durban, so. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he I mean, did. actually, that being said, all of them really have done so much for themselves in the industry. So. I don't know the one judge, the one woman. Rihanna. Yes, I don't know, she's in the Afrikaans market. Yeah, so her and her sister both are, are like Afrikaans sweethearts. Okay. So she's, yeah, she's, a, she's an amazing singer. Uh, and I mean, she seemed to have the like um she, she was the judgiest of the judges because she was the oh, last absolutely. one to turn around yeah definitely i think she was the one that everyone had to work for the most i i, I think her and lira definitely are two of the most like most seasoned although i mean they've all been around for so long but i think you had to really work for rihanna okay and um 
Francois and Coke, does he have any like significance in your life? Like, I mean, I know you, like, I know your real surname, so uh, <laughs> I, I, I figure that maybe you would have grown up with his musical, maybe not. So, Francois, funny enough, actually, um, in my last year of studying music, I did a paper on the history of Afrikaans rock. And basically, if you Google Afrikaans rock, 95% of what comes up is either Fokov Polisikar or Francois. Yeah. So I actually know a lot about the dude and is someone that I've looked up to for so long in the industry. So being, you know, on the same like stage as him and, and getting to meet him backstage was amazing. Just the conversations we've had and stuff. And also he was the first one to turn around for you. So oh, like, absolutely. That must have felt pretty cool. Oh yeah. I mean like that's why the smirk came out. I mean like I got I got Leroy and Francois which were two I'd say of the most like polar sides of Oh definitely of the show. both fantastic vocalists though yeah. as well. So I, I was really stoked at that point. And I mean, I'm actually the most bummed that I can't work with all of them as closely as I'd like to. Yeah, but maybe like down the road, that would be something. Is there, is so. there, also, is there like any point where like they swap members of teams or anything like that? Like, I don't know how the show works. So I can imagine that they might be able to steal people. Like, I'm just thinking if you like to add drama to the show, like that's something you could do. So I know in previous seasons, I'm not sure what the format for this season will be. They've had... Each judge has had, I think, one or two steal options okay. um, during the knockout round. So if you are eliminated in that process, a judge has an option to steal from you. I'm, I'm still waiting to see how they unveil this season. Um, I believe there is going to be a, a big twist. So okay. looking forward to, to see if that is a thing. And what's the process now? So you've got through the blind auditions. Everyone else has got through blind auditions. Have you been watching? Have you, have you been seeing your competition? And what's your approach here? Because this isn't a competition. Are you thinking about it competitively? Or are you just thinking about what you can get out of this personally? Absolutely. Um, if you know me, I am an incredibly competitive human being. Um, sometimes possibly a bit too competitive. So I have definitely been watching. And, you know, wh while... While watching, there's obviously a few guys that you see as like the main, the main competitors. And um, I, I think the trick is not to get in, in your head about it too much. Everybody's there because they bring their own unique flair. So I'm not, I'm not so much watching as in an idea to change what I have going forward. I've definitely got a strategy that I'm going to stick by, but it's good to see, you know, who's in the mix and, and who you're competing with. And what's, um, yeah, is your unique flair? I think, ooh, you know, it's such a hard thing to say because it's almost, you know, you, you become a bit arrogant and egotistical. Which I like I guess how you is, just, before you say it, you're just letting everyone know, I don't want to say this, but anyway, I absolutely, am. Absolutely. Um, I guess range for me is, is probably my strongest um, my strongest suit. I can see that, yeah. Yeah, so I've, I, I can go from quite low to, to, to quite high. And I guess I'm quite a loud human being on a normal day, so I've got a bit of power in, in the diaphragm. So I'd say that's kind of where... I, I would say I would stand out and also maybe, uh, you know, the variety of music that I, I can do. I'm not just a single genre artist. Um, well, do you want to elaborate on that? Because you're currently studying at UKZN at the moment, right? Or you just finished? Or? I've just finished at, at a, a different college. I wasn't actually at UKZN. You went, to, you went one of the, no. cause, oh, okay, which college are you at? I was at Copa. I don't even know Copa. It's the Tell Campus of Performing it. Arts. I, I just assume everyone studying music in Durban is doing it there. And you, you'd be mostly correct. Um, the UKZN format is, is jazz. And yeah. I think looking back, you know, after, you know, studying, I would have loved to. 
And I would probably, if I had the chance to go study jazz right now, I would. Yeah, because I also assumed that because we were discussing before this podcast, you were mentioning yeah. like you're going, you want to go into a more jazzy route. Absolutely. So Copa, the idea behind it is it's a contemporary music college. Awesome. So, so you learn a lot of different things. So you, you, you're touching on elements of, of all the genres, which is probably why. And I can why. imagine a lot of production in that as well. Or? So I started with vocals. I did that for two years and then I moved into sound engineering. And then I've just completed my honors in that now. So try to branch out as much as I could and, and learn the behind the scenes part of the industry. Because I think as a, as a singer, studying production has probably been the greatest um, choice I've made. Because you start to see how um, compiling music really, really comes into play. What do you mean by that? So when you're writing a song, obviously, you know, there's, there's ways to make songs interesting. And when you listen to the, the, the more, uh, you know, genre bending or... Uh, iconic music that's come about they've always brought in elements within the arrangements of the tracks that are not just musical you know they're, they're little moments that happen little events that that kind of bring you to a theme or paint a picture and you know you don't think about that before you you do production once you started studying sound engineering you can't stop here you start hearing kind of more of the song like like how Absolutely. it's all layered how it's all put together not just like I mean, you've been in a band for a while though so you've been making songs and absolutely but now you feel like you're even understanding of like making songs has obviously changed. Oh, hugely. I mean, once it's like anything, once you see behind the, the veil, yeah. you start to realize that there's so much that, that we don't know and that we don't pick up on immediately as, you know, just normal listeners. So to see that and learn about that is it's probably been the most mind blowing thing I've ever experienced. And it's given me a huge appreciation for music. What actually got you into music and making music? I mean, how long have you been singing for? I imagine it's quite a while, but I've only like known you for probably like the last two or three years. I remember seeing you performing at the beer hall in town. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, and I just came and shook your hand because I was just like, what the fuck? This voice is ridiculous. Like, I'd never heard you before that, and I was completely blown away. So, Well, thank you for that first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I've been singing as far back as, as, you know, I think I know when I was a kid. I think it was just something that I started doing just by habit and automatically so i feel like one of those rugby like dudes who someone's like how long have you been playing rugby they're like my whole life that's all i know how to do if i break my knee tomorrow i'll never know another day outside of that so it's pretty much been my whole life um i pursued it a little bit i went to the drakensberg choir when i was in grade five. Oh wow yeah and then shortly after left that and kind of put it on the shelf for a little while um and then a friend of mine taught me how to play guitar in matric and i just i just rolled with it from there but yeah, the band was probably one of the most eye-opening experiences for me. You know? So you were in a band called Stone Palace? Yeah, Stone Palace. So we still still are. Still got the same members uh, around me. They're great guys, and I don't think you know I could have asked for better guys. But yeah, we did that for about two years. Yeah, fantastic band. I mean, I really enjoy this music that you guys created. Like, it was just... like. I get why you guys aren't currently doing the Stone Palace thing, because, I mean, you're doing the Ross Charles thing now. Mm. But, like... Oh, it was so nice to have like yeah like a new fresh band like on the scene that was actually pretty good like oh yeah <laughs> where, like because you know you get new bands all the time like in music scenes in general and most of the time they're okay mm. and it takes them a while to get good whereas you guys came onto the scene and you had musicality you had good songwriting you know you had catchy stuff and it all yeah. sounded good so it was like yeah a part of me were like once more out of stone palace but now obviously with you being on the voice and you know your brand i guess being slightly bigger you guys are now still a band but doing ross charles yeah so we've basically we've amalgamated into into the ross charles brand 
I hate, I hate yeah, that word. Yeah, it's Listen, awkward as fuck. As a, as like, I consider myself a bit of a, like a, a, a snobby purist. I spent my whole life trying to avoid the word brand or like my brand identity, um, social media and stuff like that. But now like you're that. an adult and you understand that that's yeah. part of entertainment. Yeah, I got to pay rent at the end of the day. I'd, you know, I'd like to be able to put clothes on my, on my body. But um, oh, I've lost what you were asking. Uh, I've forgotten completely. Um, I was asking about with the band. Like, so yeah, you become oh, yeah, we've Ross Charles now. Yeah, so um, I've kept the same members. So Cam Lane on guitar, Reese Cook on bass, Buddy Love on drums. And we actually brought in James from James the Chandler. Dead Trends. Yeah. And so some of those guys have worked together with yeah. the Dead Trends. So yeah. we've, we've, we're just kind of like absorbing as many people. My goal ideally is to be within an eight-piece band by the end of the year. Oh, so I'd love to get some brass in, um, maybe trumpet and sax, and maybe another keyboardist or another guitarist. So like I mean, the that's goal. a lot of expenses though. Like it is absolutely. Like each member you add is now going to just add to the costs of the band. Absolutely. And I'm hoping that the voice, the platform will give me the freedom to book those kind of shows afterwards. Because you know, that must be the hard thing, I guess, at the moment is, I mean, you travel as a two-piece pretty often because I can yeah. imagine the fee is like two grand. So you're like, yeah. you can't have a four-piece on that. Like Absolutely. And so is that that's kind of why you entered the voice was so that more people could get to know who you are and hopefully i would assume like yeah you get more bookings your booking fee can go up because you've been doing this for a few years now as a professional musician all the time yeah full time like like people don't understand how hard that is in durban to do to be able to live off yeah. of music it's a very tough it's a tough industry in the whole world i'd say it's a tough industry in south africa and in durban it's 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 kind of two-sided it's incredibly hard because there is so little but it's also there, there's, there's a very small group of guys doing it full time, and so once you infiltrate that, it does actually become a little bit easier to to grab a hold of the, yeah, in, the market. Like, yeah, like you know, like Gavin Ferguson, James, you like there's a bunch of names yeah. that you see all the time, like all, at all the different restaurants. So there's like a bit of a circuit for yeah. musicians. But there it is. It's it's mostly cover cover shows. Yeah. At the moment, yeah. So I'm hoping the platform of the voice. I mean, it's an international platform. It's a nationally and you've huge got platform. like forty five thousand views already on oh, the yeah. I mean, that's already that's already way more than we've ever garnered from anything I've done before. So I'm hoping that afterwards it's gonna give me the freedom to to do a little bit more traveling, to to put together, you know, uh, more interesting shows. You know, you see these guys who are doing a lot, like you talk about Balwansa a lot. Yeah. He's a guy who's out there constantly bringing interesting projects. Uh, Raheem Kemet also like always trying to bring something that's different he's not they're not playing it safe they're going yeah. out there and going this is a concept that I'd like to execute and they do it because they've spent time building something that allows them to do that and I'm hoping that after The Voice I have that platform to you know lock into the income that it requires to fund those kind of projects I mean if you win The Voice you could probably definitely do that what do you actually get if you win I'd have so no I also don't exactly have a clue. I just know that it's a, a very solid recording contract. Okay, so and that was it. You just entered because you're like, so what if I win? Well, you know, my, you know, your whole life, if you're a singer, um, you'll know this. Your family and friends at every single bra will ask you, "Have you? Are you doing idols? Are you doing the voice? You should totally do the voice." South Africa's got talent. Yeah, you know, and and I always was was kind of trying to reserve myself for that and it's definitely something that's been in the back of my head but well, i've just would been you waiting yourself from it i think for two reasons one i've been waiting to, to be mature enough as an artist i think because it is the show is more than just can you sing yeah. you know there's there's a lot that goes into it and you got to be able to perform you got to be able to perform you have to be able and to that was one of the things that i think helped you get the audience on you like your voice is great and mm -hmm. like you sing really well you've got great control of it 
but you performed a lot better than a lot of the people like I've seen on The Voice. I have watched the show since Obviously, seeing yes. you on. Um, but yeah, like that was the thing was just seeing like you, because you've been performing for years now, I think you had an advantage over a lot of the other competitors who also maybe have performed, but you know, they're doing it in more static rooms, like where Absolutely, people are sitting yes. down listening to them, whereas you're used to getting people dancing and yeah. moving. So that was immediately apparent like from your performance yeah and I, I i really think that experience is the most vital part of the industry and the guys that i've seen on the voice this year that i would consider i wouldn't say competition you know to me it's not a competition but the guys that i look up to on the show guys like eon larue who just come out there and just absolutely obliterate everything i've ever heard before they have experience you know it's these guys who are, are 26 27 28 and have been doing it for years, and they understand the nuances of the industry. Although there was that the, the one operatic, like younger woman, Morgan. Yeah, she's amazing. And Yatu, uh, Yatu Craft, and, and I don't Morgan. I've heard Yatu. Yatu is uh, he sang the Greatest Showman. He's I think he's on like five hundred thousand YouTube views. Uh, I don't think I saw his audition, but he's damn. amazing. I mean, he's the poster boy for twenty nineteen, basically. Like so, you go check him out, and okay. you'll see. So you, so that that's your that's your competition there. You you, yeah. ha, you have been sussing things out. You and it's funny know. enough, like the guys who I would consider my competition have, over the show, become my best friends there. So like I think all of us um, kind of know that like we're competing with each other, but we have such a deep respect for what I everyone else is doing because no one's competing for the exact same sound, you know. Yeah, exactly. I mean you're all doing slightly different things and you are going to learn from each other oh, like, throughout this experience. What have you actually done in this experience so far? Like, cause I mean, it's still the blind auditions, but obviously yeah. like everyone knows like who's gone, like everyone in the show knows who's gone through already or are, like do the blind auditions. I mean, yeah, is there stuff going on behind the scenes whilst we're seeing stuff on TV? So the, the blind auditions are, are, are technically in their last week. They've, they've just finished now and then we okay. will, or go back and do so after your blind auditions that's what i'm trying to see so you haven't done anything else now like no because i was wondering like you know because it gets shown on tv and so i was wondering if whilst it's being shown on tv you guys are actually doing like the next like segment so there's 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 parts of the show that we have started working in towards obviously so it's a massive production yeah, yeah yeah there's a massive production um and obviously they have to streamline certain of the processes the blind auditions are completely as is i mean you get there you go on it's it's like right in the moment and then after that they slowly phase certain certain parts and i mean you you get some interviews done um you you start to discuss things like your wardrobe and your song selection and and you know there's little parts that go into it but for the most part of it we're all just like so now it's about to really start yeah it's going to start now you, i think and do you have an idea of the process that's about to happen so the next round is going to be the knockouts yeah um I can't say too much about what's going to happen, but basically I believe that we're going from like 50 or or something down to like half. So it's quite a, a massive cut. How do I you think. feel about that? I'm feeling confident about it. Um, you know, you have to. I think if you start to judge or doubt yourself, it shows when you go on stage. And I mean, I think a lot of people don't understand or can't, you know, couldn't understand how much goes behind the scenes. It's a very draining process and it's hard on your, on your mentality. You're away from home for a long time. You're under a lot of pressure. You're constantly surrounded by, you know, I think it was a hundred people in, in the first, first selection that are just some of the best things you've ever seen. So you have to keep that positivity up as soon you as you let that in. You probably saw some people not make it through that were really oh, good. Oh yeah. I mean, I, this might be controversial for me to say, but 
some of the greatest singers I've ever seen did not make it through the blind audition. You know, it comes down to something like, like their song choice might have been yep. wrong or they, they might have been trying to do too much or not, or not trying to do enough. And it's crazy how there's little minute factors. Because you've also only got those three to four minutes you know to impress those four people uh, it's 90 seconds oh you've only you got... have 90 seconds oh i see i didn't even like yeah I, obviously obviously it's it only feels like seconds. that wouldn't be they wouldn't show three and four minutes of exactly the song on it TV. feels like it's you know when you're up there and when you're watching it feels like an hour but yeah it's not you have 90 seconds to basically shape the future of your career <laughs> no no pressure at all how exactly <laughs> how was the pressure when you got there like what was what did it feel like just before you started singing i think that's what what we were talking about earlier about experience for me i've been on stages with four thousand people in the crowd uh, you know i've been on stages where there's 10 people in the crowd and you have to work so hard to get those 10 just to get in there so for me getting on a stage is is actually the place where i feel the most like myself and so you know, that first moment when they hand you the mark and they, they say, you're up. It's like, yeah, it's now, bro. Your heart just drops right through your body and it just starts Sink or swim, do or die. And I mean, did you ha even consider failure or were you like, I'm going to make it? I had, I had no, no failure in my head. I went, I went on there going, four chairs, this is what I'm getting. And uh, I think that's the only way to really go for it. No, dude, like, I mean, I think a lot of people aren't going to relate to that, people who are listening. But I do think that is a key to success. Um, see, personally, like, I've got a bit of a different philosophy in that, like, so I play a lot of Magic the Gathering. Absolutely. And when you play Magic, you lose a lot. Like, yeah, it's a part of the game. Like, yeah. it's literally built in. Even the best players in the world lose hundreds of games, like, all the time. Absolutely. So... I don't feel lo like losing anymore. Well, exactly. Like, so that's the thing for me. It's not like that I'm confident that I'm going to win. It's that I don't care if I lose. And so that allows me to be a lot more confident mm. in what I do. So like with stand-up comedy and that, you know, I've died a million times. Oh, yeah. Like, I've also succeeded a million times. And so both those things keep me going. Like both those yeah. things are like, cool. Like, you know, you, because when you die again, like you've done it before, it's okay. It's nothing, yeah. And also when you succeed again, it's like, cool, I am this good. Yeah. Like, you so know, but affirmation. then also, yeah, but at the same time, you don't want to be too into the like there's a saying that we have, um, it's don't let the good gigs go to your head and don't let the bad ones go to your heart. Yeah, that's well, you, you've basically summed it up. You know, I've failed it. I've failed them. I've been in the industry for seven years now. I've played gigs where no one's clapped. I've played gigs where people have clapped when we said we're about to take a 15 minute break <laughs> because in their minds, we were just ruining their entire night. We got booked to play in the village on New Year's Eve. Oh. Right? Stone Palace, heavy rock band, three hours. There were like dancers on like podiums next to us who got off and they asked if they could leave their gig Because early. they didn't know how to dance They to couldn't it. dance to us. We were playing in the village. You know, people wanted to hear doof, 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 doof. No, like, I don't understand who booked you. Like, and that must have happened, like, a lot, like, being a relatively popular band. In Thousands Durban, of times. It's because someone asks someone, hey, do you know a band? And then your name comes up. Absolutely. And then they book you, and then you're nothing like what they want, and then it's yeah. now awkward. I mean, it's also, it's also funny when there's a band called Stone Soup. Oh yes, and, and they're very different to Stone, you as well. Stone Palace, and uh, so we got booked for the Youth Day gig at uh, Chow Bella, <laughs> where we played after um, A One, and it was meant to be Stone Soup. I don't know if it was meant to be Stone Soup, but like the lineup would suggest that it was was more suitable for Stone Soup, and like I know them, I know old school, and those guys very well. And they would have killed it, but like we went on and absolutely killed that gig because we came on 
and we knew we'd failed before and i was like the band were like dude what are they're going to hate like, us. Yeah, not like this crowd, is not the right, we're not the right music for this. And I said, we're going to start with Earth, Wind and Fire and we're just going to play the funkiest shit we know how. And everybody had the best all of their lives. And, you know, like you're saying, that, that idea that you could fail starts to mean nothing yeah. after, after, after enough failings. So for me, I know like for you, you're saying that keeps you humble. For me, that I look at it the other way around. I go out there as hard as I can and I just put it all on the line and I go what's the worst that's going to happen? I could fail right now. I don't even care if, if that's the case. Yeah, I think I just need to keep myself humble because like, I would be a monster if I didn't. Well, I mean, yeah, you're talking, you're preaching to the choir. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so what are like some weird band experiences that you've had, like, you know, from being booked at the wrong like kind of place, which is which are some of the worst like crowds you've had to play? I hate to say the worst because... Well, not the worst, but the weirdest experience. Weirdest. The most, uh, the most surprising... I think, um, and you know, Stone Palace, I think we're lucky in, in the sense just to cover that first, that we always did have a good response, you know, and you, you learn how to play it to the crowd you're at, but we got booked for the opening of Gasoline Alley, which is a biker bar yeah, in Pantown. Yeah, like, you guys are not the band I would book for that. No, and well, this is what became weird, is we became like one of the staple bands for biker gigs. Yeah. Like, through this gig so it funny it turned out that we then played you know several other bike rallies afterwards but we arrived to this to this venue and i mean they've been great with supporting live music yeah gasoline alley like is weirdly enough i mean i haven't been there since it's become gasoline alley like there was another yeah. venue beforehand um but i've been seeing they've been doing a lot of stuff they push like, it hard the aesthetics could use a little work oh yeah absolutely but, but the crowd love it so yeah but that's the thing like it's cool to see the alternative scene in Durban again, you know? Like yeah, it's great. Between that and the Winston, like, and even Cool Runnings are, like, you know, now yeah, contributing a lot big more. Big time. So there is, I'm seeing, you know, there's more gigs, more bands. I mean, a Absolutely. lot of the bands I'm not enjoying, but I'm stoked yeah. that they're there, you know, and that, like, people are coming to gigs and stuff. I feel like you got a very particular taste for music, though. That's insane because look at, just go to Bubblegum Club, search Bubblegum Okay, that's true. And just see all the different genres I yeah. listen to. I've got... Like, I just hate cheesy shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and you're right too. I mean, like, I feel like anybody who's, you know, listened to enough music, when when I watch a band personally, I want to sit there and go, what? Why did you, why did they do that? I would never in my life have thought to do that. And, you know, yeah, that, things become very derivative is my issue. Yeah. Like, you know, when I listen to like metal bands and rock bands, it's like, well, I've been listening to this music since I was like 12. So it's like yeah. been 20 years, you know, and like... I've heard what you're doing. You want someone to grab you and, and shake you by the, the, the and collar and be like, this is something you've never seen before. Yeah, or just they do it so fantastically well. Like bands like Black Math and Mouse are like two prime examples yeah. of rip-roaring, just fantastic shit. Like, yeah, in you know, your face. Yeah, I will watch them all the time yeah. like, because they're just so good at what they do and it is out there and it is different to what... I mean, I'm sure it's similar to other stuff and some people can be like, they sound like this band or whatever. But to me, they don't. Like, I haven't heard like a lot no. of stuff that sounds like them. I mean, the highlights of my, my younger years in the music industry when live was still going, Black Math. I, I went and watched every single show. I knew their entire set. Yep. Like, after a little while. I probably still do. And, I mean, they just... Like, the, exactly that. The first time I saw them, I went, whoa. I've never been exposed to this before. I've never heard this kind of style. I mean, Cam is definitely... He's like one of those guys who thinks way, way He's off. He's actually going to be the next guest on... Yeah, oh, that's so. amazing. Yeah, he thinks super to the left. He's like way out of the box and, you know... And he's think, also just constantly working and like... Yeah. 
he's got such a different approach to this thing than almost anyone because he's yeah. just like literally always busy forever on everything yeah and he's completely happy doing that he's, and that pays off it does because i mean yeah he's got like five bands like yeah that he's in so he's playing every single weekend at least one of his projects is playing yeah. in some city in this country and he's doing graphic design throughout yeah. the week as well so he yeah but he's also studying i think or maybe just finished studying that stuff way, forces growth yeah you know you you grow by being pushed you grow by working with artists you never thought you'd work with before you grow by by diving into a genre that you've never performed and just immersing yourself in the people who live that genre of music is that what studying's like done for you have you i definitely think that? that's what studying production has done for me because when you listen to any recording each each genre of music will have a specific style of which i mean the micro things like where they place the kick in in metal or where they place the kick in in pop and how the kick tone is you know so it's like little things like that but like immersing i think more myself in the durban scene i mean because what like let's say you go to the winston on a friday you could go to curiosity on a saturday and like on sunday you could go let's say to like Belido and, and watch a very commercial band up there. Like yeah, all the you can Crusaders, see like Crusade. You know. Yeah, I was thinking of Crusaders, Soul Sundays. That's usually where we are, but that's that's more for the vibe than anything. <laughs> um, and you can see, you know, like on Friday you could see a punk band. On Saturday you could see a neo soul band. You can go to Jazzy Rainbow on the Sunday and or see like even a on heavy the Thursday, prog. Like yeah, or any day of the week. You yeah. in Durban, like because it's a small place. You know, in Joburg you'd have to travel for six hours to go see you know a variety of things. Here there are so many different genres existing, and once you start going to all these different gigs and just watching guys you didn't ever know existed you start to see all these like crazy genres of music that are brewing yeah durban's always been like really cool in that regard and that the music scenes have always crossed over a lot oh, big like time. you know we don't have i mean i think the hardcore and punk scene were like the only time that like there was like a dedicated music scene that like this yeah. was the genre listened to here but that even just evolved and expanded and yeah. like into so many different things and just over the years, I mean, but even then we had like indie versus hardcore shows. Yeah. So you would have like, uh, oh, what was it? It was that one Maritzburg band, man. Like they were like an indie band playing with like Gogo Bronco, like okay. on the same bull. Like we would have City Ball Mazes and Gogo Bronco on the yeah, same yeah. bull all the time. And all it was the time. like fantastic that like, yeah. But that's also the thing. Durban's just always had like these rad, rad bands like City Ball Mazes, yeah. Gogo Bronco, just great songwriters in their genres. And like, it's just frustrating that you can't, well, unless you're doing it the way you've done it, you know, playing three gigs a week, you know, doing the cover band stuff, like it's hard to make it as musicians because if you look at a band like City Bomazes, they were big by almost anybody's measure. Absolutely. And still couldn't afford to make that their career. The industry is hard. I mean, it, you know, the, 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 the toss-up comes between am I doing something creative and am I getting paid? And you often have to find ways to do both. And they often don't co coincide together. So I think it's about finding that balance between what I say to, to, to the guys I work with is we're going to do 10 shows that might be a little bit, you know, cuck for us to do. But from that money, we're going to do one show that is so amazing for us to do. And I think now even more so than ever, I'm looking at that as like the option. So you you're looking at in. a business where you're reinvesting. Like yeah, you're reinvesting. So you're doing, you're doing like, let's say, two months straight of just hard four or five gigs a week putting money aside putting your money aside and then you take that money and you invest it into a show where you've where you've actually put your creative soul into it and i mean i think if you ask any musician i love playing the cover gigs because 
the guys I play with, they do different stuff every time we play the songs. So okay. it's still creative. You know what I mean? We're taking I mean, songs. I wouldn't, that's the thing, I wouldn't know because I don't go to those gigs. I mean, like, yeah, those gigs are more, those gigs are more catered to, the general to a specific crowd. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But like, you know, corporates and, and, you know, background music and restaurants. But every time we play the set, it's a different set. And everyone, you know, so some you guy will do something different. Yeah, because I think if you're a creative person that, that you don't turn that off. You don't go, whoop, let me just turn the creative tap off today. I'll turn it back on when I mean, I'm playing my stuff. If you're like, if you're beaten down enough, like if you're beaten laugh, down enough, yeah, you could definitely just go fuck it. Here comes you know Sultans of Swing. Yeah, but I mean, if you're beaten down enough by it, then just go get a job. Yeah, like you well, might as well, you know, if you're gonna be resigned to that kind of stuff. But the thing is, I mean, it is your job at that point. Like you, yes. you know the scales, you know how to do it, and you're just performing the task. Absolutely, not really playing anymore. I'd be lying if I said there were gigs that weren't like that. You know, you know, we play sometimes to crowds that just. I mean, and it's not their fault. We're playing in the back of a restaurant. They want to eat even know and talk. They're going to be yeah, there. They didn't. They didn't pay to come watch a band. And you know that does it does rip your heart out and stomp on it a little bit. But you know, I, I'd be lying to you if I said there wasn't always at least one person who comes up to you afterwards and says something to you that, like, drives you forward. They'll that just come and be like, well. you know, that that cover that you did of this. I'd never heard anyone do that, or you know, it just really touched me. Or you know, that was my father's favorite song, and he recently passed. You know, it's little things like that that, that drive you. Like makes you feel a bit better about the gig and stuff. See, yeah, I'm the exact opposite. Like I hate like when people come and talk to me after a show and tell me that they liked it. Like oh really? Like, yeah, like fucking like I don't need to know that. Like that's cool. <laughs> like good for you. Like I'm glad you enjoyed it, but now it's awkward for me because now. What I do have, you say? Yeah, exactly. And it's just like, yeah, now we're in a weird situation, man. It is like, weird. It's something that you, I don't, I don't think you ever get used to. Um, it's your for me now. After coming back, and you know, my blind audition hearing, I've said thank you like million six times. million times. I, I don't even know what to say other than just, just thank you. They're like, oh man, you went and sang, and I loved it, and that was cool. And now you're doing things. You're like, are you thank worried you. that you're going to get to a point where you can't interact with people as much anymore because? yeah like you get to a level of fame like because that's the thing with music do you think about that like because it's a necessary element of like i think about it a lot with comedy of you know like how much of it is art and how much of it is trying to get famous so that more mm. people will you know process your art absolutely so do you want to be famous do you think about it like is it a is it a necessary evil or is it something you actually want to do i think um you know it's, I'm, I'm in two minds about it uh Ever since I was young, that's all I've ever really wanted is to be, you know, like one of my idols, you know, like Freddie Mercury or, you know, those, the greats who... But the reality who, of it's so much different. The reality is very different of it. But I'm a very social person. I love people. I love talking to people. I love meeting people that I didn't know and exchanging stories with them because I feel like as an artist, that's what helps you grow the most. Most. Most, yeah. You're learning from other people. So I, I don't think I would ever be bothered by, you know, having to walk through a spa. This is going to probably sound egotistical <laughs> and having like 20 people stop me and, you know, ask me about my day and stuff while I'm buying blueberry flapjacks. But yeah. there are days where you're tired and you just kind of want to go home and sleep. But, you know, I, I don't know. As soon as somebody comes and starts talking to me about music, I, I'm locked in. So. Because that is one of the things like that it becomes part of the job like of being a musician is having to interact with fans, having to Absolutely. interact with people that you've never met before that yeah. you like have no clue. And now you've automatically got to have your game face on because if you're an asshole to them or you're not even an asshole to them, just awkward or weird or yeah. not on your game, you could lose that person as a fan forever. Yeah. You, yeah. And um, I think if you break it down to that kind of level, 
every social interaction is like that. Yeah. So like, I, I try not to think about that side of the industry. My, most of my thought will go into the music, but I like, I mean, we're sitting here and talking because you came up to me after a gig and said something about the music. Like we didn't know each other before then. No. I'd seen you out. You'd probably not seen me out, but like, probably not. yeah, you know, that, that, that was one of those interactions and now we're sitting having a chat, you know? So I feel like there's always good that can come out of those kind of things. Okay. I see. Like, it's just the psychology though, like of, yeah, like having to deal with that. That's something that I worry about. Like, I don't know if I'm cut out for, like, even with this podcast, I worry a bit, you know, about like how many yeah. people are going to hear it. And like, I love being more personal and the whole thing is to like be personal and be different to what people get. But then now there's going to be a bunch of strangers who know so much about me. Now that's where the, the main thing comes. I think the last, the last two years as started thinking more seriously about you know the band and and the, my least favorite word brand yeah i do feel sometimes like who am i what a, which part of me is the authentic version of me you know i'll look back at photos of, of myself before this and, and i mean with stone palace you guys had wade weirdson doing your photos yeah. so you guys had like dope photos all the time stylized like oh absolutely i mean wade wade uh he'll probably shout at me but wade is still involved with my brand he's i mean he's he's probably my best friend but at the same time, you know, he'll phone me up and be like, what the hell are you wearing? <laughs> you know, or like, the, what are you doing, man? That's, that's not aligned with your thing. And like, so as much as I appreciate that, you know, it, it also does become this, this like tug at you when you're like, you're constricted but, by what, 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 yeah. what am I meant to put forward here? Exactly. I want to wear this. Why, why can't I wear this? Because it, it's me. And so you, you get to this point where you're like, have I, you know, lost sight of, of the version of me that was most most authentic or am i actually chiseling away to find that that version fuck that's yeah yeah i guess that is the question it's and, a tough one and where where are you at like with regards to that you know i think like anything it has days there's days where i'm, I'm absolutely thrilled to you know have have created this this persona and this person who i get to put out to the world because as as a as a, a business person and an artist I know that I'm creating the thing that I've always wanted to create, but it there are days. Like lying a little bit. Yeah, you know, uh, it, it, there's days and there's 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 things that happen when you're in relationships. You know, I struggled with my last relationship. I think that a large part part of why it ended. Um, when we met, I wasn't a musician at all. We probably met a month before Stone Palace started, and I mean that gig at Beer House was our first gig. Oh wow! And it, you guys were fucking good for your first. Yeah, gig. so it it the, the band really skyrocketed in a sense to where it ended up you know where we were at splashy and in in that two-year period of time all the things that i thought about as a human like as a person changed massively and i started catering my image and the the, the places i went and the things i said in, in certain degrees you dyed your hair blonde for a bit yeah so there we go that's a prime example the the peroxided blonde hair that was never really a part of me and you know i i can see why it was a thing that happened because all of a sudden when I went out, I was interacting with a whole new demographic of people. And they were all people lovely were more people. interested in you. They, well, like, like a different type a of people, like, you know, a massively different type of people started paying attention to me and paying attention to my music. And from a business point, that was thrilling. But the people who knew me, the people, you know, who were closest to me were like, dude. Did you get ragged on a lot? I got ragged on a lot. But, we, you know, with the band, we all rag on each other a lot. But also, like, I mean, AKA catches heat for him peroxiding his hair yeah, all I the mean, time. And it's still... Well, my issue iconic. is, like, everyone makes fun of me for being, like, Adam Levine. Um, and, you know, the blonde hair was kind of an Adam Levine type thing. So I got a lot of, I got a lot of uh, hit back from that. Why do, you, why do you get compared to Adam Levine? 
Uh, I think because, you know, like I think every artist has that, well, like every singer or every guitarist or every drummer has that one artist that they can imitate. Yeah, and you can do the, them. The easiest for me, it's without a doubt Adam Levine. Something about our voices, our tones really play into each other well. I can definitely see that. But I mean, Maroon 5, not necessarily like, you know, a band I would want to be like. Now, their old stuff. They've, they've, Songs about Jane is phenomenally good. You still think so? Absolutely. Why? Like, what Dude, about the instrumentation, what, what? The, the funk elements brought in. Okay, there you go. That's that's why you love your funk. Like. I love funk. I love uh, you know it's it's that 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 stereotypical funk guitar, that high twangy, no mid range, up strummed, single chord, weird like jazz chord, just bringing in and holding it down while the bass and the drums just groove. A lot of displacement. You know, it's a very interesting style of music. Yeah. Whereas like in my earlier days, I would have like assumed funk to be quite a cheesy genre. And then yeah. a band like Gonzo Republic came out before you guys. Okay. Like, I don't know if you ever saw them. No. Oh, damn. Did you need to hear Gonzo Republic? I'm going to uh, go check that. Clayton Humans band. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Super, like him and then Josh. Oh, I'm trying to remember his surname. This is so bad that I can't remember it on cast. But sorry, Josh. You're probably not listening anyway. So it's okay. <laughs> but yeah, that was like, they. so they were like a really cool, like funk rock band that mm. like changed my like idea of what like you could actually do within the like genre. And you guys also like extended that because you do add like a lot of soul and like, yeah, like to your vibe. I mean, just I think your voice naturally yeah. lends itself to that. Which is, which is, I think, also what's funny for me about the Adam Levine comment, because as much as, yeah, that's one, one of the elements of, of my voice, there are so many more that I do. But like, you know, most people will see, oh, Sunday morning and the blonde hair and be like, okay, that's an Adam Levine type singer. Whereas like for me, I, I would probably have more, you know, modeled my sound around a more soulful like group of guys. So, uh, you know, well, the we, thing we is try to bring to, the funk you in. You get to do that now, like as Ross Charles. Yeah, like, I'm, and I think that's the where I am right now is is a brand new slate. You know, the voice is running until July, I believe. So you know, I'm, I've got the so next six you'll months. Be there until July. Hopefully, yeah, that's the goal. I've got the next six months to basically reinvent myself and come out of it with a whole new set of music, a whole new image, an entire new direction of saying, "Hey, this is you know, I've been doing this for five or six years now. I'm here. This is me. This is what I've always wanted to do, and now I'm doing it." Because this is like literally what you've always wanted to do. Just be yeah. a musician. My whole life. Day one. Have you had a job? Um, yeah, uh, I've had a few. Okay. Like odd jobs, you know, like I've never had a, a career, but like I was a courier driver for a year. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I sold property for Zimbali. <laughs> wow. Uh, I've waited. Uh, I currently help, help uh, run a family furniture business. So like I've I've had my hands in a little bit of everything, but never like a, a proper nine to five, you know. You've just like band's gonna make it. Like that's just been your philosophy yeah. forever. And that's the only way to go about it. I think if you don't if you don't go for it, your band's not gonna make it. It does come down to sucking up those two two or three years because the reality is it's gonna be that long. The thing is that's a big risk though as well it's to huge. take that much time out of your life. Like like I I think when you're younger, you know, a lot of people in the music scene and stuff, like it's just fun. You know, being yeah. in a band is just a fun thing to do. Yeah. But like you, when you when you guys started the band, like the idea was success, right? Like, yeah, Stone Palace was a purposeful, it sounds, it sounds, you know, a, a bit cynical, but Stone Palace was a purposeful um, Yeah, because creation. you guys were all musicians though. Like, so there's two different ways like bands get together. Like one is a group of friends who have some instruments and the other is musicians coming together. Yeah, absolutely. And Stone Palace, well... 
you guys were a group of friends, but, but you were also a musician. No, 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 no. So Cam and I have been playing together for for six years. And Cam was also in Dead, Dead Trends. Trends. Yeah. So Cam and I have been playing together for a long time. I did not know Reese or Buddy. Um, they studied at Copa with Cam. I'd, I'd actually left Copa at the time. So I just said so to him, So the whole band Dude, was from the center of performing arts? Yeah, all of us are from Copa. I was actually in Cape Town. I'd moved to Cape Town to, to pursue what at the time was the love of my life. And I was waitering there and I was miserable. I, I absolutely was struggling. And Cam messaged me one day just being like, dude, I miss you. Come home, man. Just come home. Let's do a band. And I swear to God, four days later, I was home. I'd left. I packed up all my stuff. I, I told my, my landlord I was leaving and I came home and we started Stone Palace like two weeks later. Yeah, but then like obviously you're doing that. You're thinking... Yo, we got it. Like, what were you thinking? Like, we've got to make it. Like, this yeah, has there to was work. no option. I I came back. I met them. I sat them down. We were a five piece band at first. The the, the gig you saw yeah, us yeah. at Rivertown, we had another guitarist. I remember, yeah. Um, and I sat them all down and I said, "This is what we're doing. This is the set list. We have a gig next week. You will learn the songs. We'll go play them." We got to the gig. The one guitarist gave us problems. The next week, we're a four piece band. And I sat them all down and I said, "If you don't want to take this seriously, you can leave right now. I'll just find someone else." And uh, yeah, we've all been around since then. No, that sounds a little dictatorish. It was very much a dictatorship and they, they tease me a lot for it. But, you know, it's a means to an end. Yeah, I mean, because you had... But also, do you think without like that drive, I guess, like, because I don't know them all that well, but they seem a little bit more laid back. Yeah, they're all chilled guys. You know, they're young. You know, yeah. um, Cam is about 21, Reese is 20. I forget like how young people yeah, are. Yeah, they're young. They're very young. I'm 27. I'm about five, six years older than them. Um, so it's good for you to be the band dad, essentially. Yeah, and when I was their age, I also was laid back and chilled because, you know, life is not stressful. Yeah. And so, like, I don't blame them for it. You're not that stressed it. about the rent. Yeah, well, what, what rent? You know, you still live at home most of the time. And so I, I think it needed that drive and it was never a, a, a mean drive. You know, I never yelled at anyone or anything um, too loud. <laughs> Uh, but it, you have to have someone steering a wheel. I mean, it's like going to a business and saying, oh, well, yeah, I work for this business, but there's no CEO, there's no boss, there's no superiors. We're all just there, you know, communally trying to make this corporate work. Like, that's not how... Yeah, it's probably not going to work out. It's not. Any any band needs a structure in order to go forward and to drive. Well, if you want to be successful, I mean, there's like... But also, people don't understand what goes into being successful in music. Like, even before the cast, like I was saying, like... The one thing that most bands should invest in first is a PR person. Oh, absolutely. Because the way you'll get more gigs is more people knowing about you. And the way you can get more people to know about you is having someone emailing everyone in their list. And I think that's the thing I learned the hardest, you know, and that's one of the driving forces behind what I'm doing now. And, yeah, I mean, and this is to go into the, the biggest PR you could get and it's for free. So absolutely. Well, yeah, it's not free. because It's actually, monetarily free. Actually, let's actually, it is costing you though. Uh, yeah, if like, you saw my bank account right now, you would cry. So that's the thing. I say it's free, like in terms of like, yeah, you don't have to hire someone and you don't have to pay to like be on the show and like you're going to get lots of benefits out of it. Absolutely. But you haven't been able to really take gigs and stuff like since since when? Like, what, yeah, what's the whole process in terms of that? Cause so, so basically, I mean, you know, everyone, yeah, it's a massive sacrifice. You, you're putting your life essentially on hold for the duration of the show. And you're taking a massive risk. You know, when I went there for my blind audition, you know, I didn't gig for the period of time that I was there because you do go, you go in before because obviously you've got to get to Durban. Yeah, yeah. You can't arrive on the day if you're from Durban. So you go before, you take a week off, you do your blind audition. And then there's, you know, there's a little bit of tape involved that prevents you from, from gigging immediately afterwards. 
And um, I think now they've lifted all of that and we're pretty free. You know, they've actually been very supportive of, of the artists on the show, which you really want from a, um, a big production it's like also, that. also, I mean, it's good for them, for you guys to be out there performing. Absolutely. It's Absolutely. good for the brand because you're now, you know, finalist or quarter Yeah, we're or, brand ambassadors for, yeah. for them and for Mnet. And that does come with certain considerations. You have to start thinking very very um above what you normally would think it's yeah, a much bigger scale and also probably have a few less drinks before your show yeah absolutely uh, you know no swearing no playing this kind of stuff you know and and that's just what being an adult and a professional is but i think the real issue came for me was i was out of durban for too long and i don't know if it's a durban based thing or if it's just how the industry works i lost most of my residences so like because the gigs they needed are, someone else to fill that they slot fill the gap yeah they fill the gap and once they fill the gap the gap stays filled so yeah, they're not I've going been, to mm. hire someone and then be like cool thanks for being here for yeah. three weeks now i've been struggling since jan basically to to slowly rebuild that that like you know that that consistent base that i had built for for myself so you know and i'm gonna have to go back repeatedly for the show so basically until it's over it's quite a, a phase of limbo yeah, you're not going to be able to do consistent work like in terms no. of performing, but you obviously understand that almost no matter how this goes, it's going to increase like your ability. Oh, absolutely. To I mean, already my ability to, to send a message to somebody and say, hey, I'd love to come play a show in Joburg and to get met with six show opportunities, you know, which, you know... Never happened before. Never happened before. I, now I've mailed Googles, countless people. Now when someone Googles Ross Charles, there's this thing with 45,000. Yeah, I mean, I was talking to somebody at a bra last night. It's the most South African thing to say ever. Yeah. Um, and we were just talking about... He was a graphic designer. The one guy was an accountant and a lawyer. And we were just talking about how hard it is as a young person to, to make enough money, yeah. you know, to, to survive currently. And I said to them, you know, I was a few years older than everyone you are basically building a portfolio until you're 30. In yeah. some situations, 35. So this is just one of those things to add to the portfolio. It's just, out. it's really difficult to do that though. That's the thing is, I mean, you know, I didn't even grow up that privileged. Like, I, I mean, I like I obviously got privileges, but I grew up in a disadvantaged like place. My mom worked two jobs. It was really, really hard yeah. and stuff. And, you know, like, it's still a struggle, but I still see how much easier it is for me than like I look at like other cats who have even less than I had. And I'm like, how the fuck are you like how how can because for me, you know, like I've managed to now eventually have a bit of like I'm not quite living the life I want to, but I'm close to it. Like yeah. I've let it go of a lot of things. I'm working on, like for brands that I like working for. I'm being paid well for those things. And it did take massive amounts of sacrifice. But I was able to make those sacrifices because I had low rent, you know, because, you know, I had like a mom who could help me out, like, you know, in the months that were like terrible. Oh, yeah. So like, we need building, that support. So in building my brand, when building Durban is yours, you know, I had to, I was working two jobs when I was building Durban is yours. But at the same time, like I always had like that safety net. And I think a lot of other people can't ever do something like Durban is yours because they can't ever like they don't ever have a safety net. They don't they can't spend that time you know, trying to build their brand. Like the same thing, like with music and stuff, you know, some people can't even get to gigs. Like I know this with stand-up comedy, you know, like because you're not getting paid enough for the gig. So you can't get there and back. And like, so that's bad for your brand because now you can't yeah, even like perform as much. Even something as 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 small as, you know, not being, a even getting to the gig, but not being able to pr present what you'd like to present. So, you know, playing as a two-piece instead of a five-piece band yeah. because you can't afford to bring other members. You know, that, that stuff does devalue your brand a little bit as it goes. 
And I think what you're saying about a safety net is so important. And it's just one of those very, very, very unfortunate things that we have. But yet you still see guys rising through from like out of nowhere. And it, I think it comes down at the end of the day to just what you're willing to sacrifice yeah. and you know, the drive that you have. If you've got nothing, you know. You can't lose it. So, yeah, it's, it's unfortunately a, a truth. No, I know. Um, and I guess that could also is what makes other people more complacent. And like, at the end of the day, talent's not the thing that's going to make it for you no. in entertainment. Drive. Exactly. It's it, the want. There's everyone, everyone in entertainment somewhat talented. Oh, yeah. I mean, and the most talented people aren't the ones that you know. No, it's it's the guys who work the hardest. And I think guys with the biggest safety nets work the least because they don't need to what do they need to do like why would they wake up at, at six in the morning and just drive their whole day from there you know that there's no there's no need to do that and, and need and want are you know those two things that i think as an artist or a creative you have to have the most of you have to wake up and say i want this thing i want this thing so bad and what do i need to do to get that thing and just put everything aside and do it you lose friends you lose girlfriends, you lose boyfriends, you lose partners, you lose you lose everything, essentially. You see, like, this sounds romantic to say, but, like, the reality is pretty hectic, though. No, it's hard, man. There's days where it just beats beats it out of you. Like, do you ever, like, regret it? Do you ever, like, think, like, fuck, I wish I hadn't given up all these things? Not for a second. Really? Not for a second. I traveled, I traveled to Joburg and stayed with some friends of mine uh, who are both corporate, you know, employees. And, you know, the one guy that's bought a house, like, he's 27, he's got a two-bedroom flat. <laughs> Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I'm not going to own property. <laughs> yeah, like... I don't even own, a, like, a proper car. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to need a lot of things to go very well for me to be able to own property. And I was sitting there on this guy's on this guy's balcony at, like, 9 o'clock in the morning. And then I realized he wasn't sitting on the balcony with me. He was at work. I was just parking off. And, you know, it's not, it's not like that every day. I, I work most of the day. But, you know, there's certain things that I think as a creative or as an artist in, in the, the route that I'm going, you accept that you don't, you don't need those things. That's not a need for me. Yeah, I mean, the lives we get to live are quite extraordinary. Like, yeah, I, yeah, like that's the thing for me as well. Like while the struggles are always the annoying part and like the mundane, like, but like people don't get the mundaneness of being like a creative freelancer and like just the invoicing. <laughs> like Invoicing. Know, how much of your day is like invoices and emails. But I mean we're saying that now. Do you know how mundane nine to five jobs are from nine till five? Yeah, I, I guess we're you. complaining about invoicing. Yeah, see I get to Yeah, like I get to invoice a little bit, write a bit, work on the podcast, play some exactly. magic, you know, maybe send off a proposal to someone. Like yeah, I get to structure my day however I want. And like that's what I love is that yeah. I, I I have different work periods whenever no day is the same no every day i feel like i'm living and i think that was the, the draw for me and you know the sacrifices as hard as they are you know there's things you lose along the wayside none of them ever equate to me the same amount of joy and happiness as when i'm on a stage or when i'm performing anywhere even those very quiet background gigs give me way more joy than i've ever had in any any other thing i've ever pursued so you just what is it about performing? Like, can you can you pin it down? Like, do you have an idea of why it gives you such joy? I think we spoke about it earlier before the before the cast started. It's that sense of complete and other liberation and freedom. When I'm there, I can do whatever I want. Uh, you know, there's there's nothing. There's no guideline. There's no rules that I have to follow while I'm on stage. There's no person I have to be when I'm there. I get up there, and I can just be whatever it is I want to be in whatever expressive manner I want to be. It's like the most hedonistic. 
experience you can possibly have how conscious of you of what you're projecting when you're on stage is it just like all natural or are you thinking like i'm gonna like i'm trying to figure out how to phrase this properly but like yeah like how much are you thinking when you're performing so i think you know like anything like how much are you thinking when you drive are you are you paying attention to the clutch when you change gears or or are you just, just you know freewheeling down the road there's some parts of it that you are just doing that you just let go of but there's obviously parts that like for me I'm not thinking about what I'm doing when I move around on stage as much. That's just I natural. think that's autopilot. I think when I speak to the crowd, that's also autopilot. I'm constantly thinking about what I'm singing, which yeah. is mostly why my eyes are closed. You know, you know, you get a in lot of guys of who watch how people. To sing it or in terms of the lyrics or like, what do you mean? Like you're thinking about it not singing. lyrics so much. I think for me that's become a. But a it's part just about fun. So are you thinking about how you're going to deliver it? Yeah. So like, I'm I'm locking See, like, into that, that 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 mind muscle connection with with the voice and trying to trying to see where am I placing this note where what's coming next you know do you, do I think I could hit that note but like that note's four bars from now you know so like you're switching off the autopilot to to think a little bit ahead so of you yourself prepare, constantly like, and so do you actually I mean I yes I like I don't really know enough about singing man like so like when you're singing are you like building up to certain notes like even when when you're creating like the vocal pattern and stuff like are you going cool we're gonna stay here stay here build to here and then hit there like absolutely is that how the actual yeah song, i it, mean it's I, not you like never natural, know well, i was gonna say like it's not like a natural thing like that you just try it out like or do you like specifically go i know exactly what i want to try here i think it's it's the point at which those two things align together it's completely natural i don't know what's coming next but i also am thinking Okay, in the song, I've never really tried to go up there. Okay, but I have to feel where I'm at in the song and go, can I get there? Or is my voice going to break? And then, so you, you're kind of thinking, it's like controlled chaos. That's, mm-hmm. I think, the best way to explain it. There's definitely a sense of, you know, I have to, th- I have to be thinking and conscious and, and actively paying attention to what my voice is doing on any specific day. But sometimes I do something and I go, whoa that was cool whoa whoa what was that please please may somebody remember that so that i can do that again and you you probably never do i mean cam and i have like we write songs at gigs sometimes so like we'll just start writing a song mid mid set and like you know you've got to be thinking you've got to be consciously trying to like write lyrics while you're singing and you never remember them again but you're also naturally just letting the moment take you and i think that's that beauty you like you're holding on and it you're letting go at the same time. Yeah, like that's like in comedy, like I've spent a lot of time over the last while, I've hosted a lot of gigs because I wanted to move away from being, um, you know, just knowing all my jokes. Like I wanted to get good at just being able to talk on stage and just interact with people and just make your stuff up on the spot. Yeah, that's the, the true nature of it. Yeah, well, I don't know if it's the true nature of it, but it is one part of the thing that you, like, you need to be able to I mean you don't need to but me personally I just want to be a more well-rounded comedian like yeah my goal like while I understand like when I was talking about like the fame thing like my goal isn't to be famous and so that could be a problem for me but you know like becoming a successful comedian or whatever but also I'm okay with not like becoming a successful comedian like I just want to create the comedy I want to create I think you can be successful without being famous yes like but I'm not successful yet. Yeah, like, but at I mean, comedy and like there's a level that I'm hoping to get to. That's yeah, like mid-tier just being able yeah. to live my life and have my group of fans that like what I do. You know, like Absolutely. I don't, I don't care how like if it's 100 people that like, you know, in each tier city, 
cool that's amazing that would be yeah. so cool if i could just go everywhere like tell my jokes and have some people enjoy them i definitely use that as a reference when i talk to people about you know my my end goal because for me and this is probably going to sound like strange but radiohead right yeah radiohead and you know came out with creep and you know that became their pop anthem and what they're doing now let's say like everybody knows creep 95 percent of those people won't know what radiohead released when they released a moonshade pool but they created a cult following just little album by little album by bit by bit until they got to a point of complete and utter artistic freedom with support and i think that's the goal yeah, because their fans listen to them because of what they do they're not being governed by what their fans are listening to they're releasing stuff that people are waking up and going oh my gosh i can't wait for the new radiohead album i don't know what it's going to be i'm going to love it because it's it's theirs but at the same time i mean people have hated some of the newer radio story hit stuff absolutely that fans but they st- still keep listening because yeah absolutely well, what's one bad album <laughs> like you know but also like they slowly chisel away you know so like let's say they lost two hundred fifty thousand fans when they released like hail to the thief that's two hundred fifty thousand fans that they now don't have to answer to you know in in that sense so like what okay. you're Ooh, saying i get you there they're mid-tier in the sense of of like they're not ariana grande I, I mean but i would consider radiohead to be one of the biggest bands of all time they are the greatest band of all time i wouldn't say greatest but one of the biggest i will fight anyone on this podcast who disagrees i think they're a little bit wanky but that's just uh <laughs> that's just me that's just uh, me. you see like everybody has their own taste exactly so, like, they're not they're not playing to you and no. that's the ultimate freedom of that artistic creation and that is what's beautiful about art and that's why like i would like you know when we get caught up in the art. thing yeah art that's the word yeah well i mean i'd consider like what i do to be art like that's what i that's why i do stand-up comedy is because that's my artistic expression that's the one place that i get to go and say hey here's my here's my weird ideas like what do you guys think you know like it's a really yeah. fun thing to do I everything think where else, we are yeah everything else i do is my work yeah and i think where we are now in the industry there's that there's a very heavy separation between art and and a commercial product yeah product art there's art and there's products and you know there's guys who are artists and are going and creating stuff that they might not care if it ever becomes you know like a number one hit on the radio and there's guys who are just literally churning out pop song after pop yeah, song I mean, I would, or cam would be know, the guy who i'd imagine is the artist there who's just yeah, doing whatever he wants for himself and he's a person who's got you know black math and all his projects have lots of fans people yeah. love the stuff that cam does and 90 percent of 99 percent of this country Nine, yeah, most people know, have no clue who he is, but um, yeah, he's making stuff that's like people love dearly, and that's and satisfactory to him, and that's what really matters, you know, as an artist. I think, and it's a question that you have to ask yourself on a daily basis: What am I? You know, am I an artist or am I a product? And and how do you tread the line between you, the both? I would assume you find yourself to be both because we have been talking about being a brand, we have been talking about identity and all of that throughout this so i'm trying to merge the two as closely as i can you know in a way that works for me i'm looking i think a lot at the overseas guys you know um, bands like parcels and alan stone who are you know there's this massive funk soul yeah i don't know them at all so yeah like like you wouldn't know them um uh, most of the people wouldn't if you're listening go check them out out. They're, they're fucking awesome but i think there's this massive resurgence um of creative music you know and especially soul neo soul funk jazz is making a massive comeback i mean like these artists like yusuf days and um oh what's his name oh <laughs> dude i've just forgotten his name as i'm saying it they're they're playing they're playing like jazz you know and it's like commercially i mean i would think of jazz. the internet the internet i mean like yeah. they're they're they play at jazz, jazz festivals but they're they're known they're a household name 
with with people who wear Adidas sneakers and like go to Origin on Saturday still. Yeah. I mean, they've they tread the line. They were the best act like I've seen in a long time. I saw them at Afropunk and like I yeah. hate you. Why? Because you went to Afropunk. Uh, it was okay. Yeah, I saw your write up. <laughs> yeah, no, like Afropunk was a cool experience. It's just not punk at all. Like, there's yeah. nothing about it that's in any way punk. I mean, it's branding of like you know counterculture, and it is weird. But as a music festival, fantastic. Like if yeah. you if you just compare it to Rockin' the Daisies and like yeah, just yeah. music festivals, fantastic. Great lineup, really dope vibes. Yeah, everything's I mean, fantastic. The lineup, dude. The yeah. lineup. So like, I mean, for me, I don't go to festivals. Uh, I'm not a very visual human being. I don't really look around me and and pay attention to stuff. I just want to listen to stuff. So, like, I go to a festival. I put a jacket on, I lie on the floor, I close my eyes, and I just listen. So like, that lineup was oh stellar. Yeah. No, Muzi killed it. He was like probably. I'm the so best. bummed I haven't seen that guy live yet. Oh, I was in Joburg getting, when he played. He's getting better and better live, like which is like what's dope. I mean, he's doing a lot in the industry. Yeah, no. But you see, there's my further point. There's there's more guys doing more in the artistic in the, side, yeah. and it's because they've started paying attention to the brand side. But well, I mean, Muzi's had a manager the whole time, like yeah. for a long time, and what him and John have, him and John are a team. They work yeah. together, like. Muzi, you know, does the music and John gets him in the media. Yeah. And I mean, I know of Muzi because of the work John did, like, you know, five years ago, like I interviewed Muzi for Noisy and since then it's just been, you know, I keep, I'm such a big fan and I yeah, keep you, watching. You, and like, you tweet about him a lot. Because like Afrovision was the best album of last year. Okay. Like straight up, in my opinion. Like, yeah. Like I don't, like, I don't even think South African album. I think just straight just up blood, yeah. for me, it was my favorite album okay it was a brilliant brilliant piece of music and so I, that's also the thing like i hype things up like people think i'm a hater and i am but i'm also a hopper like i well, i think you get i think you get a bit of an, an unnecessary hate i think sometimes you get it when it's due but like a lot of the time i think you just say stuff that that's straightforward and people don't really like it when you tell them stuff no and i mean i do push buttons a little bit because people yeah, are on a purpose bit i'm precious. sure like we've had a few like goes at each other on twitter oh yeah definitely but like, that's also <laughs> what i love is that like i will disagree with people and uh, yeah. we can still be friends and we can still be cool but some people do get a little bit too tight but it's not personally i mean like you could you could like yeah, taste is not call me out tomorrow and tell me that the, the new music i'm doing is absolute gutter trash and i'll be like okay cool i'm just gonna keep doing it yeah well i'd probably argue with you a little bit but when i see you i'm not gonna be like yes i hate that guy how do you actually feel about critics and criticism like do you feel it's a necessary part of music or like is it just annoying this is a tough one to answer because I think that so much of what they do is is kind of just, you know, like PR. Well, yeah, some of it. Okay, obviously there's, there's guys who review stuff in a PR manner. You know, they, they, their sole thing is to write about articles. I mean, about what new albums are out and this and that. And then you get guys who, who critique music and like, we'll try and nitpick little things and like, they'll say the weirdest thing like, you know, like it's an it's it's not a medium that you can like define with words in that kind of sense. You know, like the like the ethereal wind like <laughs> notion of the guitar line wafting across the evening sky. So, yeah, so like to me to me what what those people are doing are trying to monetize their personal opinion on music. And I think that's brought two things to the industry. One of them is negative, one of them is positive. On the one side, we're letting critics define what becomes pop. And, and what becomes the new wave 
because this person will be like, this is the new thing. This is the new thing. This is the new thing. And so many people are quick to hop onto that. The funny thing is those people are being controlled by PR. Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, at the top of everything, if we go deep enough, everything's controlled by something that has money. And like, so I think in, in some senses, I think that that slows down parts of the industry because we're, we're cutting off guys who are doing something that's a different direction to that who might be doing something amazing yeah so you're not part of the zeitgeist at the time and so you're yeah. left out so you're out i mean like there's been throughout the entire history of music there have been bands that were huge and bands that were exactly like them that just didn't make the cut because they did this one thing differently yeah or just they weren't yeah they had the wrong conversation with the wrong, wrong person conversa- it's, it comes down to that so much and I, I do think critics also offer something good to to the industry because they're constantly assessing music and when you you know you observe something it has to progress so they're they're they're, they're putting little pegs in and saying this is a benchmark now yeah and that creates a point at which you go from so i think there it's a necessary evil and so, so did you ever grow up reading like music critics like i would like for me personally like i would like just absorb like music reviews like my whole yeah. life like that's you know blunt magazine and sl like yeah, yeah. i would just read that and like find new music because of it so for me, the reason why I've done it is just because I love showing people new music. I hate actually criticizing music. Like, yeah, yeah. It's a very weird thing to do. And I've definitely grown and evolved with it. You know, back in the day, I used to be way more about like, yeah, slating shit. And yeah. these days, it's more just about giving context and describing the vibe and giving you information on the artist and like, just like putting you onto something new and different. I'm not going to write about stuff I don't like yeah. anymore. Because while I do think it's valuable, I also just don't think it's valuable for me. I think I've possibly read maybe two reviews in my whole life. Really? Yeah. Just like, like not of yourself, just in general. Like, well, we've, yeah, well, when someone reviews my music, I'll let you know. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I just like, I listen to the music I listen to. I listen to as much music as I possibly can. And I'm happy with the opinion I've generated of that music. If I like That's it, so I like wild. it. That's so cool. Like... I can't even imagine what that's like. I'm so influenced by like my influences. Yeah, and that you see that that's my point about critiques. It it does influence an entire populace of, of people. If no one wrote about what was cool and what was not cool, what what would be cool? You know, whatever everybody just wokes up, wokes up. That's actually the. I think it will always be controlled at some point. Yeah, like, because somehow there's always you know there's there's so many factors involved. I mean, it's just people make money out of music and so the way people make money out of music is people knowing about it. Oh, absolutely. And so getting in the media is yeah, just a big part of it. And that's that's what, where it comes from but for me it's just I don't know. I don't, like I said I'm not a visual human being. I don't want to read stuff. I just like to put my headphones on or put some music on and just go with it and I'll make my own opinion up of it. If I like it, I like it. If I don't like it, I don't like it. I'm not going to read a review and be like, ooh, I better like that music because See, this d- guy said it was good. Oh, I don't read a review and go, I better like it because this one said it was good. Like, I will know that if I've read a, like someone like Dan Ozzy, he writes for Noisy and I love his reviews. So I know if he says something's good, I can give it a listen. Yeah, like, absolutely. So that's, for me, it's like a, you have your people who are basically cutting stuff down and giving you- Yeah, like, they're sifted for you. He has your 10 albums for this month that you should listen to. Yeah. And I might like five of them. Yeah. You know, like I might not agree with everything they say, but it's cool to have like people who have similar tastes to you mm. showing you new stuff. Absolutely. Because like, that's the thing for me is, yeah, it's like I love finding new music all the time and I love just yeah. constantly expanding what I'm listening to. So I'm always reading what other people are saying. Yeah. Like, you know, like, and there's also, there's important writers, you know, who actually give context to stuff. And that's what yeah. I love about Dan. And that's what I love about like Sabelo and Cabela. Yeah. Um, he's someone I've interviewed on this podcast because they give 
you more context they give you more of a Absolutely. story they tell you get new information out of it Absolutely. so it's not just saying like i didn't like the hi hats here they were a little yeah, bit yeah, too yeah, tame, yeah, yeah. you know like that's such a wanky irrelevant yeah, yeah. thing to say i guess well, that also depends. Are you a sound engineer? Because if, if you are, then yeah, that's but like you, but the a, basis of your entire life. Yeah, but if you're a sound engineer, you should not be writing music reviews. No, definitely not. <laughs> like, yeah, no, absolutely. Because, oh man, that is not good. <laughs> okay, yeah, that was... Glad it wasn't mine. Yeah, it's A1 Wolf, oddly enough. <laughs> I don't know why he's calling, but I'll get back to him just now. Wants Wait. to be on the podcast. He's obviously he's already been. Oh, has he? Oh, yeah. never mind. I can see you don't. Uh, you don't really support. I I, I I watched. I listened to the last one. The one you sent me the link to. Oh, cool. Yeah, I've started. Oh, I need to actually send out the one for this week. Um, yeah, if you guys are listening, he will send you a link personally on WhatsApp if you want. I like I did the board because that was, yeah. I once again need more people to know about this yeah. shit. And sometimes putting it in people's faces is exactly how to. to do it because I had um, Konda who was on that mm. podcast and he sent the link to everyone in his yeah. WhatsApp thing and got over 500 listens. Yeah. Before that, the most we'd had was 200 listens. I so mean, like if you're not in people's faces that people don't pay attention to a lot of artistic stuff, especially on the scale that okay. we're currently doing it. You know, the thing is like, we think posting it on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, people nah. will see it and like, but they'll see it, but they won't engage with it. They won't. They'll lack it. Like they won't actually click the link to go through to the thing. Like I'm sure you've probably had, you wow. released a song online and on Facebook it got 500 likes, but then you check the SoundCloud thing and it's like 50 plays. Dude, this is the one that's got me the most, right? So like recently I've started doing a series of live videos, which I post onto my Instagram. That's a minute, I think, that, that it lets you post on your actual page. That will get a thousand views. I'll go onto the YouTube link, 150. Yeah, so people are, people are stoked to watch 30 seconds of a clip and be like, yeah, that was Kev. But it's also because Facebook puts that in your face immediately because it's on their platform. Same like with Twitter as well. Like they give credence to stuff on their platform. So if you put a link to something else, they, you're going to have to get a lot more likes on it for it to be seen because they're not going to be pu pushing that. Yeah. That's weirdly enough. One of the reasons why like I shut down DIY and stuff was because we weren't even, it wasn't even possible for us to get the same amount of hits we used to get because of the way Facebook the algorithms yeah. had changed, like without paying for it and couldn't afford to pay for it. Yes, and obviously. So eventually it was, and people don't, unless you put it in their face, go mm. and look for it. Yeah. I mean, so, this, yeah. also I think so much of, of this connection of having an, an unlimited supply of information, you know, we are now South African based musicians living in an industry where it still is Americanized. Very. You know I mean, because we are so up to date with technology that people don't need to listen to the music that's like locally based, you know, they, they can get on trend with the massive artists overseas like that. Your Apple Music, you can have, you know, pretty much everyone. It's not like it used to be. But on the other hand, because you're a South African band, you've now got people from America. Absolutely. England, Australia, yeah. Japan. You know, listening because you have way cool. more access. Yeah, it's cool for you for them to listen to you because you're Absolutely. like this obscure South African yeah. band that like they can show all their friends. Yeah. So there is that potential, and I there's, see there's a, benefits. I see a lot of like it's so weird, but I see a lot of South African artists going to Europe and doing very yeah. well. Yeah. Like so many, like you just look at the like run of Catonians and like, but it's oh, yeah. been done forever. Like even Joe yeah. and Cats for the last ten years. You know, like there's been just this constant flux of going to Europe. And, you know, being loved there 
and then coming back here and still no one knows who you are. Well, we have a sound. We, the, you know, the South African music industry has a massively distinctive sound. Well, yeah, we've got the Muscundi influence in almost everything. Yeah, no, yeah, that, that obviously. But like even the ba- the bands that like you would say are derivative of Americanized or, you know, European Westernized bands are, are still unique. But we have, and I will stand by this, something that has always been ahead of the trend in every single decade of music is Afro-influenced music. Yeah. Afro jazz, Afro soul, you know, that Afrocentric sound is a sound that cannot be replicated by any other country. It's just something like if you look in the 70s, like the like like Fela Kuti and well, like yeah. Hugh Masekela and those dudes were miles ahead. So that's also the thing is people here grew up on that. So it's and they just, did. So, you know, it's a part taking that forward, essentially. Yeah. And I mean, I went to a conference. It's going to be a weird thing to say. Like I went to an MTV bass conference that they came to South Africa a couple of years ago. With yeah, Snoop, I've been to most of their things. Snoop Dogg was, was one of the guys, yeah. you know. Yeah, you were there. And uh, they were standing there going, Africa is the next. Africa is going to be the next big sound. Well, it's also, I mean, well, yeah, you just look at how international artists have just stolen so much from Hugely, africa yeah. like we're we're on the trend right now yeah it's been yeah i mean not just africa so like obviously the western african sound like um stuff like Wizkid and that and yeah, then yeah. also like in south africa like you know kwato has just been jacked multiple yeah. times Tom is like yeah you know I'm glad you said it. i mean i can't get the click properly i've been on radio a lot and you've had to I've learn had to practice yes yeah, so yeah, it's, it's hard it's important it's important you know like i talk for a living so i've yeah. got to know what how to say the words i'm not and good at that one yeah i also um wrote about home like a lot when it was stu- well not a yeah, lot first but like up, yeah. i wrote about rude boys and stuff and i've yeah been a part of the come up a little bit in terms of the media yeah, and that that genre of music i mean all of the those yeah, genres are new. now becoming massive because like first of all it like it slaps like yeah. all afrocentric music is just a it's groovy and it hits hard you know and like european countries like germany and belgium and like the swedes they go absolutely wild for that because there's nothing there that could ever replicate the authenticity of that yeah exactly i mean they can try like but that's why like they're always more like on the trancey side yeah. like, of things like, or they're too like precision and like down the line you know where there's like, not enough feel to it essentially there's not enough feel to it you know actually that's probably the biggest difference between like yeah like european music and like african music there's like, a massive freedom to it yeah like i hate using broad terms like european and african but yeah, like, yeah, yeah. it would be like european stuff is a lot more just precision based and like a lot yeah. more like yeah whereas here things are tight but it's also things are free flowing like yeah there's most, no rules most bands here like can just like jam like, well because we we have as a result i think of being a smaller industry we haven't been like crushed down and clamped into the the box of the rules because yeah you have to be like this but we almost things. celebrate the stuff that's way more out there because our scene that's what it incorporates you know the bands that are doing more interesting stuff more un, undone stuff get way more recognition i think in the international platforms because of that whole idea of it's something that no one there has done yeah i mean like bcuc just got booked for glastonbury yeah, glastonbury man that's the that's the dream if, if you meet them and you ask them what else they want to do if they can tell you something <laughs> I, i'm done because like if i got booked for glastonbury tomorrow i'd be like cool i'm done i'm yeah, out I mean, well they've done all the big european festivals yeah. already so that's like kind of the last big one and yeah. like they're also like in the middle of the poster they're not even one of the no, bands like, right, out of the bottom such a like fucking awesome thing to see like this representation of south african music and guys who are making good music you know not just the run-of-the-mill commercial 
you know, play to the same crowd. I don't want to mention any names, <laughs> guys, but I'm pretty sure we all think of, you know, a certain um, band so or two. Yeah, people have in their mind the band that they're you know, thinking of. And Beacock are like out there. They're not like, you know, down the middle. No, there's the there's nothing about BCUC that like is commercial in any way, no. shape or form. And they've become one of South Africa's most successful bands. Yeah, I mean, and there's several bands that are doing that right now that are are, are, are are completely wild and they're just doing the like this very traditional afrocentric style of music uh, and like it's, Sankar, that's uh, exactly who i was thinking of yeah but and, they're, but they're vastly different like, yeah they're absolutely vastly different and because the there is no formula there's no box you know exactly you can have a 12 minute song and that's just how it goes and like it doesn't even have to have a chorus or a melody line it can just be a, a groove and i think when you take that to a festival like glastonbury or or any festival for that matter, people lose their I mean, minds. I can't even, like I, I have to watch the video of them playing Glastonbury. Oh, they're gonna kill it! Like with those drums just going, like, yeah. and oh yeah, it takes Dovey you somewhere. Just, like is like the kind of guy that can get yeah, like forty thousand people like wrapped around his fingers. It's gonna, so. it's gonna take over. Yeah, I think you know, it, it might be a slow takeover, but like I, I've always been saying, like the next ten years, the the South African and the African music scene in general is, is definitely gonna be on the rise from where it is yeah we just need to take control of it we need to make sure that our narratives are that's why like i enjoyed writing for noisy was because i get to, got to contribute yeah. to the narrative of you know south african culture yeah. overseas you know like even though you have to cater to them a yeah, lot yeah. i think we're still in like the youth phase of the development of, of music in, in our country you know yeah because like, i mean we've only had the industry as a whole start you know after apartheid i was it. about to say that yeah yeah like because it was a very before um, that thing controlled were very and yeah like i mean people were recording and doing stuff but yeah it was way different and way tougher and just way less of a dream for most people i mean like i like to bring up Himasakela. he's huge Worldwide. but he could have been much much bigger than i mean like he's a household name but he could have been like you know i mean he probably is regarded by a lot as like the miles davis of like south africa, of yeah. south africa but he could have been but even he could have just been the miles davis exactly he could have been way bigger like you and know, he, you other know people we had a lot of artists we had hundreds of artists at that time making music like that and so w with you know apartheid lifting we still have only just started to grow the development of new styles like you know trap and and the 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 surgence of hip-hop hip-hop is only in its like i'd say the 90s of its development you know what i mean south africa maybe early 2000s yeah yeah like we're, we're peeking through there you yeah. know it went through its 70s phase where guys were doing very progressive stuff then it hit the 80s where it kind of got a little bit more synthy and like dancey you know well it's growing and we're not up to date in that sense i'm doing air it quotations quotes, but, if but you can we're also doing something a lot of different stuff we're right? ahead yeah. But our scene has not got the infrastructure yet to push that worldwide as much as I think it does with the other the other artists. Yeah, although we are getting stuff like Questers. Like no, it's, going, it's going. So. We, we're breaking through. And I think in the next 10 years, the, the funding and the, 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 the structure behind it, the infrastructure is going to have grown so much that, that the South African and the African music scene in general is going to be up there on a level platform. So you're feeling confident about the future? Absolutely confident about the future. Like not just your future, but... No, no, about everybody's, you know. Like as much as I want to succeed, for me, there's no point in only one person succeeding. It's more like if we're all succeeding... Yeah, rising tide floats all boats. Yeah, well, like it's like if everybody around you in the scene, like not just the musicians, let's say the writers and the, the graphic guys and the photographers, we all feed off each other, you know yeah. what I mean? Like I need other creatives to make what I do 
better. And when everybody's in a place where we're making enough money that we can do this full time and, and you know, be profiting, the creativity is going to grow so much and there'll be opportunities to collaborate with more people. And I think that's what really pushes music to become, you know, great. And I think if you're, if you're a musician, that's what you want. Cross-pollination and just Absolutely. being able to work with other people. I want to wake up every day of the week and, and be in studio with a different group of people making a different genre of music, even if it's not mine. Even if I'm just the guy doing jazz hands and singing one or two harmonies in the background. Well, you're going to do, you're actually about to start doing that. So over the next few months, you're going to be singing a lot of different kinds of songs. Absolutely. Working with a lot of different kinds of people. Yeah. Um, yeah. What are you thinking now going into like, so this is going to be the last question. Yeah, absolutely. So what are you thinking going into these next few weeks of next few weeks to months of your life? What is the, where's your head at? Oh, that song just popped into my head. Um, <laughs> right now, song selection, I think is definitely going to be i am waking up any, every single day can you give us anything there ah uh, uh okay for the guys in durban who've seen me play there will be some songs that we have played before <laughs> i've got some ideas and you yeah, might have yeah. mentioned one or two of the people yeah that I, i'd like to do i'm but they, you're working with them i'm working with the team the, the the team on the voice is amazing they are the musical director and the band are my mind was blown just from i mean i did a change is going to come which is like a yeah. proper soul classic and they just nailed the arrangement in like 30 seconds i walked onto the stage and they were like just nailing it and it's such an amazing feeling so working with that team in the future is like probably the thing i'm looking the most forward to um so definitely going to try and do a couple of the songs that i've been doing because i've been doing them because i love doing them yeah and also because it's good to have like i get some things to fall back on a little bit so like to be yeah. able to know like hey cool i might try something different here but i can always know that like the next song i'm going to sing is something that i'm super comfortable with so i can take the risk here yeah i think that you know comfort is important in the in the first stages i think of the show because you you don't want to be nervous you don't want to be you don't want to be trying something that's that's going to backfire on you i think you've got to keep some consistency you've obviously got to put everything down on the line from the start to the finish but uh you know you can't just go out there and sing like i can't go out there and sing something that no one ever knows yeah because you know you you're still and i think this applies in every performance of your life you're catering to the crowd and it was something that i had to learn slowly is it's not about you it's not about me when i get on stage to play to people I'm playing two people. It's not about me being like, check, I can do these runs. I can sing this obscure type of music. Yeah, you see, that's what I'm learning with, well, being learning with comedy is like, I'm even developing different sets now. Like, so I'm just going to have my, you know, club set, my yeah. regular, just, I'm literally at the moment writing jokes and I'm just like, this is stuff that everyone will dig. And I'm writing my one man show that's going to be other stuff. And I'll test yeah. some of the one man show stuff out in the in between the other stuff but at the moment what i've been doing is just going full me and it's like well this is cool for me people tonight didn't come to see me they came to watch comedy yeah and i'm the comedian who's now ruining the 10 minutes of their life because i'm busy talking about global warming and exactly. polar bears yeah so it's not about you so like that's something that i've made peace with and learned to use in a, in a positive way i think that's why you wake up in the in the morning as an entertainer is to entertain is to is to make other people's days better and i think that's the beauty of art and creativity is it's an opportunity for me one person to in, enhance the day of of as many people as possible like in a moment and 
you, you have to put that ego aside for that moment and put that away. So going forward, I think that's my main focus right now is to just sit there and I, you know, I wake up every single day and I'll be listening to a new song and I'm like, oh, that, that, that would be amazing. I could do this there. I could do this there. People would absolutely love that. And, you know, it's that idea of, of, of thinking of, of them first. Cool. I think that's the perfect way to end this. So thank you very yeah. much for your time, Charles. Russ, Charles. <laughs> Charles, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, where's the Charles from, actually? So, because um, it's not your actual surname, I won't give you no, no, I no. won't give your government name away. But yeah, yeah. we got it. You know, we all got to have a stage name. I, I believe you do as well. Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. My yeah. name's not Bob or Perfect. Yeah, I, I at least kept my first name, Ross. Um, Charles was my grandfather. Um, and basically, oh, cool. yeah, my perfect's from my grandmother. So. Okay, cool. So um, it was it was Charles, and his son was was Charles Junior. He named uh, his son Dominic, and then my grandfather passed away um, quite young, about sixty four. I know my 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 actual grandfather Charles. Charles. Okay, yeah. He passed on, and um, when I did start doing my shows, I just I needed a different name. You know, I mean, the name I had, it it wasn't bad, but it wasn't catering to the style of music I wanted to play. Yeah. And I don't know, it's just your the audience, first thing. Your audience would be very different. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, my audience would be very angry because I can't sing Afrikaans music. <laughs> cool. Thank you so much for your time, bro. Thank you so much, Bob. Have a good one, man.